0: Every Sunday is an opportunity for us to worship the risen Savior, but it's fun to call attention to it, isn't it? Like we do on Easter Sunday. And um, our staff was praying early this morning. One of the things we just prayed and thanked the Lord for was being our hero. He's our hero. You know, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He really is our, our hero, Jesus is. And, uh, and so that's what makes this day so special as we celebrate uh, he, that he is a living savior recently um, i read an article as i was working on the message for this morning that said that even prior to covid there was a problem with attendance at historical sites in other words these historical sites all over america in fact uh really in other places of the globe that people are not visiting the historical sites like they used to in fact for example williamsburg virginia uh, some say is kind of the the hub of the american revolution said their attendance at williamsburg is down uh, 50% from what it was several years ago. And uh, like Gettysburg, one of the great battlefields uh, of the nation, is is down an enormous amount of visitors. Again, this is all prior to, to COVID, and they really have no explanation for it. They don't know why, and there is concern among historians because they understand something, and that is if If, you know, the old saying, if you forget your history, you're doomed to repeat it, that sort of thing. And so they're very concerned about it. But there's one place in the world that there hasn't been a decline in visits to historic sites. Guess where it is? It's the Holy Land. And they said that people still come to the Holy Land. They come to the place of Jesus' birth. They come to the place where he did his ministry and walk there. By the way, we'll be taking a trip back there in the early part of 2023. And they come to the, the place of the tomb and the cross. They still are visiting those places. And, and you know, I'm sure that people are still visiting the place because it has the, the ambiance of feeling at least like you're close to Jesus or you're walking where Jesus walked. But also I think people still return to, to the place of Jesus because... Uh, we never want to forget what he did for us. We never want to forget his ministry. We never want to forget his death and his resurrection. Uh, I love the story uh, some years ago that I came across about a man and his old five-year-old son. They were driving down the road and they were were coming past a, a cemetery. And uh, this little five-year-old boy looks out at the cemetery, and he sees that there's a freshly dug grave, and there's a pile of dirt there, and there's a hole for the grave. <laughs> and he turns to his dad, and he says, Dad, look, one of them got out. <laughs> well, you know, really today, that's the reason for our gathering this morning. We're here to remember that Jesus got out, and, and because he did, we celebrate Uh, both the cross and the resurrection. Uh, We're in a series right now called uh, The Victorious Christian, and there's no better message to preach in that series than victory over death, as I want to talk with you today, because uh, truly the fact is the resurrection is essential to living a victorious uh, Christian life. And I want to talk with you uh, about that whole matter of the resurrection, how it uh, helps us uh, live in victory. Now, one thing we would probably all admit in the past two years that COVID uh, has uh, revealed something about us, and that is it has revealed how frightened people are of dying. I think that would be a safe uh, assumption. Uh, And and I'm not suggesting this morning that we shouldn't take that matter seriously. Uh, I mean, we ought to take it seriously. But what I am telling you today is that the resurrection means that we don't have to live our lives in fear, of death, We don't have to be afraid of the great enemy of our soul, Satan and the grave. And that's why the resurrection is so important. And that's why each year we put such emphasis on it. And Paul understood how important the resurrection was to our victory in the passage that we'll read in just a moment. He even says that if the resurrection didn't happen, he said essentially we, we are people that are hopeless. If the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is in vain. It's that important to us. And so I want to read a few verses, and I'm going to skip around in this chapter. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. And uh, out of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is referred to as the love chapter. It defines real love for us. But did you know 1 Corinthians 15 is defined as the resurrection chapter? This whole chapter is about the resurrection and what it means to us personally. And I want to pick up in verse 3 just a couple of verses, and then I'll I'll point you to the next uh, section of the chapter. In verse 3, Paul writes and says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Now, if you will look at verse 12 and 13 and 14, he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Then if you will, look over to verse 17, and he adds, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Father, thank you for the reassurances that we have in chapter 15 of the victory that is ours in Christ over the grave. And would you now take your word and instruct us and convict us and challenge and change us, God, Uh, with the wonderful truths of the resurrection, the wonderful truth that our Savior is alive, that you're alive, Father. We're not talking to stones and sticks uh, and statues. We're talking to the living Savior. Thank you for that. And we're different, and our eternity is different because of it. Now speak to us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now let me tell you who Paul is writing to in this passage. He's writing to some skeptics. He's writing to some some what were known as Gnostics and even some Judaizers. And they were trying to undermine uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were trying to undermine it because if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, they knew that then that meant he was who he said he was. And it meant they couldn't continue to operate the way they operated. You know, every year at this time, There are a lot of skeptical articles written about Jesus. It it happens two times a year. It happens at Christmas time because we celebrate his birth. It happens in the Easter season because we celebrate his resurrection. And uh, there are lots of skeptics that write during this time about, well, can you really trust who Jesus was and what claims Jesus made and that sort of stuff. Why is that? It is because the skeptic knows that if Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, then they've got to change their whole philosophy of life. And they know that, and they understand. Well, Paul is writing to some people two thousand years ago who who felt the same way. They just they they wanted to undermine it because if it's if they could if they could invalidate the resurrection, then they could go on living the way they wanted to live. And so Paul is addressing uh, these skeptics and uh, the, who are trying to persuade the church not to believe in the resurrection. They were trying to undermine. Uh, one of the critical foundation stones to the Christian faith. And uh, so Paul is writing to, to counter that with believers, that is to those of us who, who know him. Now, if you've ever wondered then why people so often uh, try to undermine the resurrection, if you can undermine the resurrection, Paul even said it here, the verses we read, if you can undermine it, then you, you uh, undermine all of Christianity. We have to have it. Now, on this past Friday, I talked a, a couple of times about the cross. Maybe you were here for one of those services on, on Friday, and we talked about the cross and how important the cross is. But the cross and the resurrection work together. They're like two sides of one coin. If you don't have the cross, there's no need for the resurrection. Hello? If you have the resurrection but you don't have the cross, the resurrection is, uh, is pointless as well. And so these two things go together together. And we have to understand that. So um, there are people who want to undermine these things. But the fact is, as Paul states, resurrection changes everything. And so today, on this Easter Sunday morning, let me show you some things that God's Word teaches us about the resurrection, why it's so important. The first thing is that the, uh, in the resurrection, the plan of God was revealed in, in, the, uh, in the resurrection. We see that in verse uh, 3 and 4, the first verses we read. Uh, When it says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. When it says in accordance with Scriptures in verses 3 and verses 4, that would be, we could say it this way, in accordance with God's plan. Now, if you were here one of my messages on Friday, then you heard me say that the cross revealed the plan of God. But you know, the the resurrection was part B of that. You can't have you got to have both of them. So uh, the the cross was part A, the resurrection was part B, and both of these combined to reveal to us the uh, the plan of God. The resurrection, you see, was not some quick fix uh, or an afterthought on God's plan. The resurrection was not a knee-jerk response of God. In other words, God didn't say, oh, no, they've crucified uh, my son. I've got to come up with a plan, and i got to come up with one quick. That's not what's going on. In fact, the Bible tells us that this was God's eternal plan from the very, very beginning. Now, the devil didn't know that. The devil didn't understand what God was doing. The devil actually thought he had won. When Christ was crucified, the devil thought uh, touche. I did it. I, I defeated God. He thought he'd destroyed God's son and he thought he destroyed humanity's hope. But God let the devil, listen, orchestrate his own destruction. God allowed the devil to orchestrate his own destruction, the devil's destruction. Listen, how do we know that? Well, listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, this same book, chapter 2, if you went over there. He said, Paul says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined, here it is, before the ages to our glory. Did you get what he just said? This mystery, and I'm he, he tells us what it is in just a second, he said, but we're speaking about the wisdom of God. God was so wise. God was doing something. We didn't even realize what God was doing. And he said this was something that was predestined before the ages. In other words, this was a part of God's pre-eternal plan. So God wasn't taken by surprise and say, oh, no, I've got to do something. All right, are you with me? He goes on to say, the wis-, listen to this, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood he's talking about the cosmic rulers of uh, uh, of Ephesians uh, 6 the uh, principalities and the powers in the spiritual realm they didn't realize what was going on that's what he says the the rulers of this they didn't understand and then he adds this for if they had understood it he's talking about the crucifixion if they had understood it they would not have crucified the lord of glory are you are you with me in other words if the spiritual powers, the devil, his henchmen, all the spiritual forces and uh, principalities, and he said, if they had have understood, they would have tried to stop the crucifixion. But they tried to advance it. They did. They thought succeed in advancing it. But God is so much wiser, and so God said, saying, this is a part of my plan. This is a part. But the devil thinks, aha, I got him. I got God right where I want him. But Paul said, if they had have understood, they would have never done this. You see, the devil had a plan. And God had a plan. The devil thought the grave would solve his problems with his archenemy, God. But God used the devil's grave against him. And the resurrection proved that God had this plan and that his plan ruled. The grave could no longer sting. The grave could no longer bind. And the grave could no longer win. The resurrection, you see, was God's plan to defeat death. I did a message years ago called The Death of Death. That's really what happened through the resurrection. The death of death. The devil thought death was the end, but the resurrection said, Nope, I'm in control. And and that's why Paul says that Jesus was the first fruits. He was the first to conquer the grave, and because he conquered the grave, all that are his will do likewise, he said. And so it was the death of death, it revealed God's control. It showed God's plans and purpose for our past, for our present, and thank God for our future. Then there's a second thing that the Apostle Paul alludes to in this passage, and that is the power of God being released in the resurrection. The power of God was released. It wasn't just the plan of God revealed in the resurrection, but the power of God was released uh, uh, in the resurrection. Again, we're reminded of that in verse uh, 4 where he says, He says, the fact is that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. In the resurrection, the tremendous power of God is released. Now look, remember, the devil tried to take Jesus out, right? That was the crucifixion. The devil was trying to take Jesus out. The, the authorities tried to to seal Jesus up. You, They, they put him in this tomb and then then they put this massive stone in front of the tomb and then they sealed the stone with wax and with like a, 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 what we would call a cement to try to put it there. Why did they do that? Because they had been told that uh, by uh, the authorities that somebody might try to steal his body to create a narrative and so they they sealed him in. The authorities said, we're gonna seal him in so nobody can can come and, and steal him. The grave clothes tried to bind Jesus down. Do you know we're told that the that the wrap that they use to wrap Jesus' body in, they use a combination of layers and spices, and so they put spices, that's for obvious reasons, uh, when they buried the dead, and then they would wrap them in a layer of cloth and then put more spices and wrap them in another layer and put more spices and they continue to do that. And some estimates are that that wrapping that they'd put a body in weighed as much as 100 pounds. And so the body would be there with the spices and the wrap and all of that sort of stuff. And so the grave clothes, they thought we'll use the grave clothes and a combination of the, the stone. will will bind him in. And then the soldiers tried to keep him in. Not only did they do, use a, a an exorbitant amount of grave clothes and the, the massive uh, stone, probably more than two tons to cover it and then seal it. L- listen, they put two Roman centurions there. And they did, And these were like, uh, we, we would equate them with like a navy seal. These were bad dudes that they put there at the tomb. And they were so trained that each one of those centurions were capable of defending 16 square feet around themselves. I mean, the, these guys were, they were fighting machines. And they put them there in order to make sure nobody came. And, so, and, and by the way, just think about this footnote. <laughs> there are some who would argue that the disciples came and stole his body. In fact, that's a narrative that they would try to advance. Can you imagine? These were cowards at that time. The disciples ran off and hid. So can you imagine these kind of cowardly disciples showing up and beating up these two Roman centurions, then rolling a two-ton stone away, so we're going to steal the body? Not on your life, they were in hiding. They were, they were scared. They were uh, uh, playing everything low-key. The soldiers tried to keep Jesus in. The skeptics then tried to explain him away. If you go back to Matthew, you see that they, they came up with this, um, this storyline that they would advance. Once the tomb was opened, they said, well, you, you go tell everybody that, that his body was stolen. But God did something that they had no control over. God released his power. And when God released his power, he unleashed his son. John Ortberg, in one of his books, tells a story of a pastor that was on his staff who was responsible for uh, children's sermons. And on one particular Sunday, Easter Sunday, he's telling the children's sermon about the resurrection. And and in his his telling the story to the kids, they're all gathered around him, and he says to them, he said, Boys and girls, what were Jesus' first words to his disciples after he was raised from the dead? And before uh, uh, this pastor was able to give them the answer, a little girl raised her hand real high and said, I know, I know. And so the pastor said, well, I'm going to let her answer. And she, he said, okay. He said, well, what, what was the first thing the, the, that Jesus said to his disciples uh, after he was raised? And the little girl said, he went, ta-da! <laughs> Ortberg says, that's probably a pretty good translation. It probably is, isn't it? And someday God will call to life the bodies of all those who are in the graves. He will also bring back every person that's been drowned at sea or cremated or destroyed in some other way. And by the way, that's no problem for God. First of all, remember he created man from the dust to start with. And uh, it's no problem for him to create something out of nothing. Nothing. The whole universe was spoken into being. You know, the Bible says to the angels, Praise Him, for He he commanded, and you were created. He just said, Let there be angels. And there were angels. And you know the first book uh, of the Bible, Genesis, and he talks that he spoke into existence. Someday God will call to life. Now, the souls of God's people that have gone on before are already in His presence, but one day there's going to be this big reuniting, and then our bodies are going to be renewed. We'll get a spiritual body, this old body will be transformed, and, and those are none of that is difficult. One day, Jesus will show up, He will call us and we will respond. The resurrection, you see, released that same power that brought Christ back from the tomb as a fact that will be power that you and I can use to live with every day. In fact, the truth is, Paul tells us in Philippians 3 that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you to live tomorrow, today. The same power, it's the same power. It's coming from God. The power that brought Christ up out of the tomb is available for you and for me as we live for him today. We know that. Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The resurrection, you see, released the source of power and strength that you need to live victoriously. And it's not just for conquering the grave is for conquering all the issues of your life. That same power is available. That's why the resurrection is important. Then, third, I want you to notice that the Son of God was revived by the resurrection. He was revived by the resurrection. Verse 20, keep your Bible open. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He says, here's the fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. You see, Jesus is not a has-been God. He's the living God. And because he's the living God, you and I sit here this morning in the church of the living God. We're not here this morning to mourn a great leader. We're not here this morning to grieve over a lost loved one. We're not here this morning to commemorate a good man. But we are here today to worship and proclaim the living Savior, Jesus Christ. He is alive. Ralph Stockman said this, Something happened on Easter Day which made Christ more alive on the streets of Jerusalem 40 days after his crucifixion than on the day of his triumphal entry. You remember they were trying to create a false narrative, a false uh, uh, report about uh, he's not really here Uh Forty days. Look, if it's false, and he didn't really come back. And by the way, the Bible says he's witnessed by more than 500 people uh, plus. And he came back. And listen, uh, this wasn't some false report. Even if they, it, a false report doesn't, 40 days is pretty long time for a false report to have traction. But you know what? The church was established when Jesus was raised, and that has continued for 19 centuries A false report doesn't have that kind of lifespan. The power of God was released, and when the power of God was released, the Son of God was revived. A living Savior changes everything, doesn't he? A living Savior changes the way we worship. Can you imagine the songs that our van led us in, uh, us uh, up here uh, uh, or out here singing those songs and saying, yeah, but we're singing them about a God who was. We're not doing that. What makes them dynamic is that we know when we're singing those songs, we're singing them to a living Savior. Our Savior is alive. That makes all the difference in the world. It changes the way we worship. I'll tell you what else it does. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we work. It changes who we are in an environment. I did a, a, a homegoing ceremony, a funeral recently for a man I led to Christ 21 years ago. And God changed him. He, he had a notorious reputation. Let me just say it that way. I didn't know that when I met him and led him to Christ, but he became a, a dear friend of mine, and it was so fun to watch God transforming his life. And he became, he became this born-again. And I want to tell you something. It wasn't long after he got saved that I had people uh, in, from his own office, and when I'd run into them, they would say this, wow, whatever happened to him, he is a changed man. I was glad to hear that too, by the way. He's a changed man. They would tell me, wow, wow, what happened? What happened? What happened? He gave his life to Christ, and he, he became a different person. Listen, the living Savior changes you from being religious to being related to having life inside of you. It changes the way we, we work. A living Savior changes the way we walk. It changes, he changes our behavior. Uh, this morning early, our deacons, our staff always prays on Sunday morning early, and then our deacons uh, gather, and we pray, and, and I was praying with our deacons, and we were talking about some stuff, and on this past uh, Friday, good Friday, we did a, a, uh, a luncheon, and then we partook of the Lord's supper, and there's these little chalices with the bread uh, uh, on the bottom of them that we use, and I told our people at the end of that Uh, the Lord's Supper, I said, now look, why don't you keep that little chalice if you want? It's empty, but keep it and put it somewhere. And uh, when you put it somewhere, put it where it will remind you that, uh, you know, of who Jesus is. And so one of our deacons was telling me this morning uh, before the uh, first service, he said, Pastor, I did that, and he said, I'm so glad I did. I took it, and he said, I put it right next to where my computer was, where I work, and he said, I was dealing with a, a business issue with a person, and the other person was not very kind. Let me just say it that way. And he said, I was about to respond in a similar manner until I looked and saw the little chalice there, and I remembered God's love. And I said, Lord, help me love this person just like you love me. I had another man who was there. He said, Pastor, I partook of the Lord's Supper. And then he said, I, I also, he said, I picked up an extra one. I saw an extra one there and I took it with me. And he said, and then I did something with it. He said, I mounted it on my the dashboard of my car. He said, I said, double sided tape and I, I stuck it there. And by the way, I'm so glad he got rid of that little dancing Hawaiian woman off his d- dashboard. But, Uh, didn't y'all like that move? Wasn't that a good move? But he, he, uh, he said, put it there. And he said, just to be a reminder, he said, because you know, when you're driving around in this place, your faith is tested greatly. He said, but I put it there to remind, why is it That he is alive. He shed his blood, but he, he lives again. And, And guess what? It changes our behavior. It changes everything, doesn't it? There's a fourth thing that you ought to know too. That Paul communicates to us in this chapter is in verse 19. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What an interesting statement. The fourth thing that, I, that, that we're taught here in this passage is that our hope in God was renewed through the resurrection. Our hope in God is renewed through the resurrection. Paul is saying that because of the resurrection, we don't stop at the grave. You know, we don't stop at the grave saying, I wish there were more. We don't do that. There are those who do, those that don't know Christ. They have no hope beyond the grave. But if, if we know Christ, Paul is saying, "You don't. we don't stop at the grave and go, I, I wish there were more. By the way, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the language of the New Testament the word hope is not like our English word hope. We sometimes don't have adequate words uh, to communicate. In the, in the New Testament, when that word hope is used, it means an assured hope. It means uh, there's a, it's a certainty. When we use it, we use it kind of wishful, right? Well, I hope things work out okay. I hope everything will be all right, that sort of stuff. That's not what the Bible, that's not how the New Testament uses it. When we talk about Christ being our living hope, it, we, we mean that, uh, that it's certain. We can, we can put our confidence in him. We have this assured hope. The pyramids of Egypt, you know what they're famous? They're famous because at one point in time they contained the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings. I've crawled around in the Great Pyramid and I won't tell you there's not much to see there now. But it's a tomb, it was a, a, a tomb for. Uh, ancient kings, we understand. Westminster Abbey in London, I've been there, I've walked around, there's a cemetery there, it's full of nobles and notables and even great Christian uh, uh, leaders, but their bodies are there in that cemetery, the remains at least. And then, then there is Muhammad's tomb in Medea, Medina, it's noted for its, its stone coffin and the bones that it contains, Muhammad's bones. There's the Taj Mahal. You've seen pictures of that. It was built as a memorial to to a wife of one of India's shahs. And then maybe you've been to Arlington Cemetery. I've been there many times. I love walking through that cemetery because there are all those crosses. I always think about the sacrifices that were made so I could have the freedoms that I have. But did you know also in Arlington are the tombs of various significant historical figures? And I like to find those and walk up and just read them about, and, and you recognize, wow, this person in history, this person in history. I remember. But guess what? It is a tomb there, and their bones are there. But the garden tomb of Jesus, that's a famous tomb. But unlike these others that I've just mentioned, Jesus' tomb is not famous for the bones that are inside. Jesus' tomb is famous because of who's not inside. It makes all the difference in the world. And that renews our hope of victory over the grave. When interviewed by Scripps uh, Research Center at Ohio University, only 36% of 1,007 adults that were interviewed said yes to the question that they believe in a resurrection after they die. Only 36% out of 1,000 plus said, yeah, I believe in a resurrection after I die. 54% said that they do not believe. They have no hope beyond the grave. And 10% said, I'm undecided. By the way, if you're undecided or you're not sure today, you need to get that straightened out because you can't get that fixed after you die. You don't say, oh, okay, so it is real after you die. I did a message some years ago called 30 Seconds into Eternity. The problem with 30 seconds into eternity, you can't change a thing. What is, is. And that's why the resurrection gives us hope in this life. That's why Paul said uh, that if, if we don't have hope in this life, we are pitiful people. Did you get that? He said, if all we've got is the resurrection here, then... then uh, uh, we have no hope beyond the grave. If Jesus didn't uh, conquer the grave, apart from Christ, there is no eternal hope. It's the resurrection, you see, that renews our faith, that causes us to understand that there is more. Paul is saying this kind of rhetorically in verse 19 when he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, but aren't you glad he didn't stop there? And that leads to the final thing I want to show you this morning, that our victory was reassured by the resurrection. He doesn't stop with verse 19. Well, if we have hope in Christ in this life alone, we're we're just pitiful people. But look at this. It's an emphatic statement in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, so, remember I said if in this life we have hope in Christ only, we're pitiful people, he says, but it doesn't stop there. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Don't believe what somebody tells you. That's what he's saying that, well, I don't know if Christ, I don't know if there's a resurrection beyond one day. Paul says, in fact, there is. And he says, Jesus was the first. Jesus was the first to conquer the grave. But listen, because Jesus was the first to conquer the grave, Paul goes on to say he will not be the last because he conquered the grave. Those who are his will conquer the grave. That's why we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to uh, uh, blow death off, but we don't have to live in fear of it. Our future is secured in Jesus Christ because he lives and he enables us To face death with faith and victory rather than fear and defeat. The resurrection means that you don't have to go through this life guessing about your eternity. You don't have to guess. You don't have to to wish. You don't have to do that. Calvin Miller points out that the New Testament word for resurrection is uh, anastasis. That's a Greek word, anastasis. And he points out that we don't really have an equivalent in uh, the English language. And so we use the word resurrection. But literally, the the most elementary meaning is simply to stand again. Anastasis. To stand again. Down and back up. To stand again. You know, we often tell people uh, here in South Alabama... You know, when they're not doing well, we say, well, I, I hope you are, you're up and about real soon. Have you ever used something like that? Well, I hope you get better real soon. I hope you're up and about real soon. That's southern for Anastasis. That's south Alabama for Anastasis. And it is the cry of the believer. He is risen. He is alive. He is victorious. Listen, he is up and about because he lives because he conquered the grave and his victory reassures us of the victory that we too can have in 1901 Abraham Lincoln's casket was opened because the report had come that his body was not there 1901 so they exhumed Abraham Lincoln they went into his tomb they resumed, uh, uh, um, uh, Brought his body back and realized, yep, Abraham Lincoln's still here. His bones are still here. Okay, nobody stole him. Christ's tomb 2,000 years ago was also opened. (laughs) But his wasn't opened to prove he was there. His was opened to show the world that it wasn't. And it wasn't because he said, if you tear this temple down in three days, I will raise it back up again. He's not there because he's alive. And because he lives, you and I can have victory for eternity. Sir Michael Faraday, one of the greatest scientists in all of world history, was dying And some journalists gathered around him as he was dying, and they asked him about his speculations for life after death. Dr. Faraday, what are your speculations about life after death, they asked him. It's cool what he said. He responded to them and said, speculations? He said, I have no speculations. I am resting on certainties because I know that my Redeemer lives, and because He lives, I shall live also. One pastor said the last time he checked, the mortality rate was 100%. That the percentages are one out of every one person dies sooner or later. You know, this morning, I didn't check, but I don't think that statistic has changed any. The Bible says it is appointed to a man once to die and then to face a judgment. So everyone, everywhere, should be asking or will ask the same question How can I avoid being defeated by the last enemy? You can't beat him, you can't buy him off, you can't appease the enemy you can't outrun the enemy you can't exercise enough or eat well enough to avoid this enemy called death there's nothing you can do to avoid being overtaken by death but the resurrection says that you can have victory oh death Paul writes in this chapter where is your sting you see when you stand over a believer Like that man I buried recently. When you stand over uh, a a believer, um, you don't have to worry about what the enemy has done. Because you know that standing over that believer means you're standing over one who who is in the presence of the Lord and will be reunited uh, at the coming of Christ, the return of Christ. And you know all of that's true because of their union in Christ. That just as Christ rose from the dead, that person will rise again. That there is a resurrection coming. So the sting of death is gone. Death's uh, uh, victory is gone. And you and I can have victory forever. As I said earlier, I hope you get this, if you don't know him, You can't get this stuff straight after you die. That's why the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. The resurrection calls for a response. It's the reason, again, people have tried to deny it because it means you've got to to do something if the resurrection is real. So Paul says it is. It's real. It's real. But your response makes all the difference. To put Jesus off, you see, is like playing Russian roulette with your soul. I've had people tell me, well, I'm going to get it right later on. Listen, you don't have the luxury of taking that kind of risk. Because, you see, we don't know what next is or how long we have you can't take that risk. It is like playing Russian roulette. It's like spinning the chamber and hoping when you pull the trigger, okay, I got by again. I got by again. But one day, one day you won't get by. That's why today is a day of salvation. If you've never trusted him, I want to invite you to do that. There's no better day to put your trust in Jesus Christ than on Resurrection Sunday. So will you bow your head, close your eyes. No one's looking about in this place. Bradley's going to come back, and he's going to play and share, and and we're going to have a time of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed for a minute. And I I just want to say a few things. I'll be stepping down front in a minute. Staff members will be on the aisles, and I want to invite you to come whatever decision the Lord moves you to make. I want to give you a prayer here in just a second. Those of you who are watching us by television, listening by radio, or watching on live stream, this is you too. If you've never put your trust in Christ, call on Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Paul says. So call on Him right now in your heart. You call out to Him. Say something like this. Lord, I don't want to be religious. I want to be related. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and being raised from the dead so that I could have eternal life. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. I know I can't save myself. And right now, I invite you to come into my life, forgive me, and be my Savior. I can assure you if you'll call out to him like that, he'll hear that. The scripture also says in John chapter 1, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you've never met him or if you're not sure, if you've just been religious or you've just been churchy, you need Jesus. Call on him today. He'll hear that prayer. You may be here this morning saying, You know what, I wondered off the way, and the resurrection reminds me of the right way God Lead me back in the way that I walked with you before. You'll hear that too. Lord, I know you. I've just wondered. Enough. Enough of it. I want to walk the way again. You may be here in a few moments when we stand. You may say, I need a church family, a church home. We'd love to have you at Ridgecrest. I know Christ, I just need a family to belong to. I'm looking for a family. We're not perfect, but we are healthy. We'd invite you to come and say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. Those of you who are watching by live stream, you'll see information on your screen, a number that you can call, 334-834-8080. You call that number. You just text us a word, text pastor if you prayed today to trust Christ as your Savior. You text the word join if you're interested in joining Ridgecrest or I need to be baptized. Whatever it is, you text that word to us. We'll take it from there. Father, would you, would you now move in this place before we're gone? Would you move in the hearts of those that you have spoken to today to make decisions for you? Give them courage to step out. Thank you, Father, for loving us, and thank you for conquering the grave. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our time of invitation again? I'll be here at the front. Staff members will be on the side. Would you just slip out and you come? Whatever decision, you called on him to be your Savior. You want to just come and pray around this altar? You're praying for somebody or some matter? Use come. Use it. Take advantage of that. You want to become a part of our family? We'd love to have you. Whatever it is, you just come. One of us, tell us about the decision you're making today. Are you ready? As we're led, you come on right now. Come on. Balcony, ground floor, come on.